Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Um, if you're an older sibling, you might be thinking, yeah, I kind of mess with my little sister um, or little brother. I am a little sister. Um, my sister is three years older than me. Her name is Sarah, and she found ways to torture me. And I think that she was really just sitting there calculating these ways growing up, and this is where a lot of her conscious decisions were. One of those times is when we were being watched by my grandparents, and I say watched very loosely because we got into all kinds of mischief, and there was no adult supervision, and I really don't even know if they were in the house at the time, but when I was about four and my sister was seven, she convinced me to play barbershop, and you guys can know what that means. Yeah, I wanted to be right next to my sister at any given moment. I was the little sister that just thought she was the coolest, and she was the big sister that just thought that I needed to give her space, and she wanted nothing to do with the little person, and so that's what was happening. So she convinced me to do barbershop, and we needed somebody to get their hair done, and of course, she was not going to mess with her own hair because her hair is too precious, so she looked at the little sister's four-year-old Becca and said, okay, I'm going to mess with your hair, and I just thought it was the coolest thing. So first, when you go to barbershop, you need to get shampooed and conditioned, right? Um, But shampoo and conditioner would be too easy and too boring for my sister. So she started walking around the house trying to figure out what can I use, which is more exciting to me. And so she opened up the fridge, and she looked inside, and she found a huge tub of butter and goat cheese. And she decided that this is what the best decision was for her to mess with her little sister. And so she got handfuls of butter and goat cheese, and she started clumping it around and just started massaging my hair with it. And here I am thinking this is the coolest thing, right? Because my sister's spending time with me. Um, No, it was a clumped up, greasy, just nasty mess. And then she tried to get water and tried to, you know, get it out, and it just made it worse, and it was just disgusting. And my sister did say after this that my hair was just a grease ball for like a week after because it was so nasty. And then she decided, okay, now we need to cut your hair. So she laid out her scissors and her comb like you would see at a barbershop, and she just started giving me a seven-year-old haircut. And so this was one of her conscious decisions that she just thought was the coolest thing. And it wasn't hard for her to make this decision because she wasn't affected. It wasn't her hair. didn't really bother her. She thought it was funny. It was actually probably just more giggles for her. Thankfully, Sarah did not grow up to be a hairstylist, and she has realized the devious ways, and we love each other now um, after all these years. But this story does come up quite frequently to us. Um, it's much easier to decide to do something when it doesn't affect you and you don't have anything personal in the game, but it's much harder to make a decision when it is going to personally affect your life or somebody's life that you like or um, somebody that you love. Last week, Pastor Paul talked about kind of the near end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, and today we are going kind of the opposite direction, and we're going to the very beginning of the Bible, and we're going to be in the book of Genesis. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Genesis 22 today, Um, and we're going to be looking at Abraham's life. Abraham's life spans over 15 chapters in the book of Genesis, and we're kind of towards the end of it. Um, But in this chapter, many of you have probably heard this story. Um, Abraham was faced with an incredibly challenging decision, one that was had an uh, incredible, tremendous cost for him. 
Um, but in order to feel the weight of this decision and what he had to decide upon, we need to know kind of his backstory and his relationship with God. So when we're first introduced to Abraham, um, his name is Abram. God has not changed it yet. Um, God revealed the beginning of his plan to restore all of humanity, starting with his family line. And this is really important because I think a lot of people think that um, the whole Old Testament happened and then God just decided that Jesus was going to come and redeem the world. So there's all this time that, you know, God wasn't at work, which is not the case. Um, God showed right here that he was planning to bring about um, a, a blessing and a way to restore us through the family line of David, or through the family line of Abram. And this is what it says in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. So we're kind of doing a backstory here. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So I can't imagine that Abram would have understood the gravity of what this blessing and what this promise was. I don't think that he would have understood that Jesus, God's son, the Messiah, was going to come about 2,000 years later and be born of Mary and Joseph, who could be traced back to his family line. I don't think he would have known all that, but he knew who the promise giver was, and he knew that this was something that God had um, had chosen him to do. He's called him to do this. Um, the same God he heard in stories growing up. Oral tradition was a big thing back then when you don't have things as written down as we do today. Um, we can look on our phones on Facebook and find articles. But for them, the way that they were able to hear about the stories of their past was through oral traditions in their families. So their parents would pass down these traditions, the people around them. And he would have known the stories of God, and he would have known the way that God created the world, and how God had authority over that creation. He would have heard about the flood. He would have known what the rainbows in the sky meant in that covenant with God's people. He knew that it was this same God who was omnipotent, which means all-powerful, who had promised this blessing he would have also understood this time about what a great nation was or what it meant to be famous because there were a lot of people around that were a great nation. So he would have understood this piece, but the ironic thing is that he had no descendants at this time. At this time, um, if he were to have died, his wealth, his inheritance would have gone to a servant. And so you can't really have this huge blessing through your family line if you have no family line to continue right? But again, he knew the promise giver, and so he went. He went, he left his land, he left his relatives, and he, got, he went. Some time had passed, and Abram and his wife Sarai continued to see the evidence of God at work in their lives, blessings of provision and protection and wealth, and things were going well, but Sarai still had no children. Abram pleaded with the Lord and said, God, you are sovereign, I know that, but what good is your blessing if I have no son to fulfill the blessing? And God responded, don't worry, I got this. You will have a son 
He will be your heir. And remember, I already told you that you're going to be a great nation. That's something, it's, it's truth. It's, it's what I've already told you. You don't need to think that I'm lying. You don't need to think that what I'm saying isn't real. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. He said, come on outside. Come look with me and look at all the stars of what you see. That's how many descendants you're going to have. So don't worry that you don't have a descendant right now because I have a plan and I'm already at work in your life. There are many, many times in the Bible, there's a lot of stories in here, true stories, that I would love to have seen played out on like in YouTube or in some type of um, visual representation. I would have loved to have a recording of this part of the story um, where I could see it because I grew up in a city. Um, I grew up in San Diego. There's a whole lot of lights and a whole lot of people. Um, if I walked outside, I could see maybe a couple of stars, maybe some planes, probably more planes than stars. And that is my understanding of looking out at the night sky. Here, Abra Abram would have never had light pollution. There would have never been artificial light or smog. And so can you imagine how many stars he actually was able to see in this moment? And God is saying, I have promised this to you, and you do not need to fear. Several years pass by, and God once again reminds Abram of this promise, but he took it a step further this time and changed his name to Abraham. And Abraham means the father of a multitude. So now, anytime somebody addresses Abraham and says his name, he's immediately remembering the promise that he was given by God that he is going to have descendants as numerous as the skies. God says, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan where you live now as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. Sarai's name was also changed to Sarah, which means mother of many nations. And so now she is included in the promise, but she at this point is 89 years old and has no children. She knows she's barren. She knows she's getting up in age, and she's wondering, how can this be true? Well, a year later, when Abraham turned 100 and Sarah was 90, Sarah did give birth to a son, and God did fulfill his promise. And this son, his name was Isaac. And it was confirmed that this was Abraham's heir. This is the one that the promise was going to be fulfilled through. So that's a incredibly fast overview of Abraham's life. And you might have thought that I missed something, and we'll talk about it here in a sec. Um, but that was incredibly fast. It brings us up to Genesis 22, and that's where we're going to spend the bulk of the rest of our time this morning. Um, most of you know this passage of scripture, um, but I'm going to ask and challenge us to read this as if we don't know the outcome, to read it as if we don't know what's going to happen next and just read it for what it is in the moment. So this is what it says in the first two verses. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, 
whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. So the conversation starts off like this. Abraham, yes, here I am. That is the beginning of the conversation. So few words are exchanged, yet a whole lot more was exchanged because this is the time, this is the only time that God addresses Abraham by name once he changes it. So he starts off this encounter saying, hey, father of a multitude, I'm calling you. And so he's already setting the tone and the framework for this encounter that he knows that he has been promised to be a great nation. He's been promised to have families blessed through him. And so God says, Abraham. And he says, here I am. So remember, we're agreeing to read this as if we don't know what's about to happen next. Um, Earlier, it was confirmed by God that this promise was going to be fulfilled through the son that Sarah gave birth to, and that is Isaac. And so he goes on and says... Take Isaac to the land of Moriah. So that's not too concerning yet, right? You don't know quite what's going on. He's listening to God. Okay, I can do that. Um, And then he goes on and says, Isaac, your only son. And this is actually not the case. And this is the piece that I left out earlier, is that Abraham actually had another son. His son's name is Ishmael. And Ishmael is about 13 years older than Isaac. And Ishmael came because Sarah and Abraham, they were looking and thinking, how can this possibly be true that he's going to be a father of many nations? If Sarah is barren and can't have babies, what is going to happen? She's already old. She's already showing that she's not able to produce. And they were not really trusting in the Lord in this moment in time. And Sarah had a plan. And Sarah said, take my servant, Hagar, as a wife and have a baby through her. This is how we can continue God's plan because at this point they were so focused on what the promise was and they they were forgetting who the promise giver was and they just wanted to keep that promise and they wanted to find ways for this promise to come true. And so Abraham agreed and it was so. Hagar had a baby and Hagar's baby's name was Ishmael. Have you guys ever waited for something? Earlier, we sang Joy to the World, and Peter had said that Christmas is coming up and that Costco has already had these trees up. So Christmas is a month and a half away. We have school going to be ending here for Christmas break soon. Um, Maybe you're waiting for your birthday. Maybe you're waiting for something to happen in the future. And it's, it's difficult to wait for things that are days or weeks or months away. But Sarah... They were waiting for 10 years up to the point that Ishmael was born. And they were waiting another 13 years for Isaac to be born. So you can believe that they wanted to protect Isaac at all costs. Isaac was the one that was finally, they were able to be like, the promise is finally going to happen now. Now I can finally see what God is doing because before he kind of revealed it. He kind of told us what was going to happen, but he wasn't showing us, is God even at work? And yet they continued to trust, and Isaac was born. And now he is saying, take your son, your only son, the only one that this promise is coming through, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. 
on one of the mountains that I will show you. So now there's a whole lot at stake, right? This is an unimaginable decision that Abraham is faced with. First of all, his future is on the line, right? He was told that this is what your future is going to look like beyond you, beyond Isaac, beyond his descendants. You are going to be this great nation. People are going to be able to point back to you and know who you are. And people are going to be able to point back to you because they're able to see that all nations will be blessed through you, all families. And so they had these plans, and then all of a sudden it's as if God forgot them and said, go do this. The other thing that was at stake was his son's life, right? This was his son. It says whom he loved. The first time that the word love is used in the Bible, this is a big deal. So not only is it his future, but this is his offspring. This is his love, his son. And so he has uh, faced with this decision. And like I said, it's easy to make a decision when you have nothing at stake. But this was the highest stakes that it could possibly be. The account continues. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told his servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and we will come right back. So now you see what he did. He chose obedience. Why? Why did Abraham choose obedience when so much was on the line? How many of you like to give up control in your life? Yeah, no hands were raised. People do not like giving up control. And yet, at the same time, if we are going to learn from Abraham, we're going to learn from this story and see why he was obedient, then we need to see what it was and see if we can do that as well in our own lives. And so there are a couple different things that we see throughout the story um, that we need to be doing if we want to live obediently. Because if we want to live obediently but we never put work into it or we never put effort into it, then when the rubber meets the road and things get hard, we're not going to stay obedient. Um, So the first one is giving control of your life to God and handing over the reins. We see that that's what Abraham did. He decided he got up the next morning and he prepared the journey. He prepared who he was taking and he went. So he made that decision and he was 100% obedient because he was not the one in control of his life. He had given the control long before this moment to God. If uh, we think that we knew exactly how our life was supposed to be, and if we thought that we just knew everything in our life, chances are our lives would have turned out differently if we were the ones who got to make every decision in our life all the time. I thought, growing up, um, as a kid, especially in college, that I just had everything figured out. I knew exactly what I was going to do. I had this plan for my life. And seriously, if that, if I followed through with every single thing that I thought and things that I saw, because I'm super tunnel visioned, I can only see what's right in front of my, my eyes, then my life would look very differently. I probably wouldn't be here in Lewiston. Um, I probably wouldn't have been in Idaho, and yet this is exactly where I am supposed to be. Um, thankfully, the God who is 
powerful enough to create our universe and to create you, he is able to see far more than we're able to see. He is omniscient, which means all-knowing. We, like I said, can only see what's right in front of our eyes, and we can only make decisions with what we can see in our little tunnel vision, but God um, can see everything when we can only see small fractions. After reading this far, it's probably easy to think that God was crazy for asking Abraham to do this. They probably thought um, it's not, I guess, a hard decision or a hard conclusion to make that God was probably just cruelly messing with Abraham. If you were reading this for the first time, you're thinking, what in the world is going on? We may have these questions, but Abraham shows in the text that he didn't have these questions. He didn't ask why. He knew who the promise giver was, and he went. He didn't know what was going to happen next in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of not knowing the why or the how of this this command, he decided to go. He had full confidence that God is a good God, a God who speaks truth and who has proven time and time and time again that he is faithful. Abraham had handed over the reins to God and Long before this moment, he had given him control of his family, his life, his wealth, and his future. It's as if Abraham had gotten out of the driver's seat and figuratively let God into the driver's seat. When I started driving, my very first time behind the wheel, when I was um, 16 years old, 15 years old, um, I was in my instructor's car. And we went around the neighborhood. And so my first 20 minutes, I was super tense. I had my hands on the steering wheel gripped at 10 and 2 because that's what you're supposed to do. And you could see my knuckles and my shoulders were super tense. And I was looking at stuff and re-looking at stuff and single and double and triple checking these things because I knew that I was in control of this very dangerous vehicle. I had my life at stake. I had my instructor's life at stake and anybody and everything around me. And so for those first 20 minutes, I was scared. And then I got super comfortable. Because then I thought, this really isn't that hard, right? You got the gas on the right. You got the brake on the left. It's really, you're just cruising along the way. So I started to loosen up my grip. I started to relax my shoulders, lean back in my seat a little bit. And so I'm starting to drive, and things are going well, and then all of a sudden the car comes to a screeching halt, and I did not do it. And so I was super confused, and my seatbelt engaged, and I was looking around like, what in the world just happened? And I didn't know it, but my instructor had brakes on his side of the car, and he stopped the car because I ran through a stop sign. And I didn't know that, and thankfully there was no cars around me, but he was giving me the opportunity to stop myself, and when I didn't, he was there to to rescue me, to stop. If this is the way that we think that God is working in our lives, and this is the type of relationship we want with God, then it's never going to work. Because right then, I was in control of that car. My instructor was only there to stop me if I really messed things up. If we think that God is there only to let us just kind of do whatever we want and is really only there to make sure that we don't really mess things up, then we're not actually giving complete control over to God the way that Abraham did. So I ask, 
who is in control of your life? Who are you, who's holding on to the reins? Who's in that driver's seat? Is it you and hoping that God is just going to be there for you when you really mess things up? Or are you allowing him to have complete control? The story continues like this. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders, while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. So Isaac, he's a pretty smart guy. He's out in the middle of nowhere. He's walking alone with his dad. He's carrying all these supplies for this offering and then looks around and realizes we've been at this for three days and we still don't have a sacrifice. Maybe my dad's kind of a little old. Maybe he's senile and he just forgot, so I should probably just, you know, mention it to him. Um, Where's the animal? Did you forget? Um, What is this plan that I obviously don't know about? What is going on? And it's a valid concern to have these questions. And he was right to raise these questions. But he was also content with the answer that his father gave him, which was, God will provide. So in order to consciously live a obedient life fully to God, first, we need to give the control over to God. But second, we need to trust that God does what he says. We can't begin to give control over to God if we don't first trust him. So here's how the story continues. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by his horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yirah, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, I'm not really quite sure what Isaac was thinking in this moment, and I really wish that uh, we would have had that in the text. But if you look at it, it's implied that Isaac was a willing participant. And this blows my mind that he was a willing participant because clearly he's about a teen or a young adult at this time of the sacrifice. And so clearly his dad is well over 100 years old, so he probably could have overpowered his dad if he wanted to. If he was concerned about his life, he could have done something, anything, to try to prevent his dad from tying him and laying on him on the altar. But that's not what happened. He willingly allowed it to happen. He watched his dad raise the knife. And again, if you just read up to that point and you don't know what's going to happen next, this is complete 
trust, complete obedience in the Lord. We saw a few seconds ago that Isaac asked his dad, where is the sacrifice? And his dad said that God will provide. And that was enough. And I have no doubt in this moment that Isaac believed that the Lord was going to provide and that Isaac remembered the promise that he has been hearing for years and years. Because you better believe he is basically the son of this promise. He would have heard it all 13 years um, or all his life up to this point, And they would have known that I'm supposed to be the one to carry the blessing. I'm supposed to be the one to live and to, to move on and to have descendants. And so in this moment, for him to allow himself to be tied by his dad and laid on this altar is not only Abraham's trust, but now we're seeing that Isaac is also trusting in the Lord. He's trusting his future in God's hands. When I was a freshman in college, um, I had a cancer scare. Um, I was 17 years old. Um, I went to Point Loma Nazarene University, and I was studying Christian ministry because I was called by God, and I knew it at that moment that I wanted to preach and go into ministry because this is what God had called me to do. And I knew something wasn't right in October. And I remember being very scared in that moment, thinking, what? what's the plan here, God? I'm supposed to do what you've said. I've done what you've said. I've gone to school for what I'm supposed to do. Everything is going excellently. I'm doing great in my classes. I'm loving it. What is happening? And it wasn't until December that I got testing done and got the results that what I was dealing with was benign and I didn't have cancer. But for those two months, I remember I wanted people to just live in that state of despair with me. I wanted them to worry with me because what else do you do? You know, your, your life is on the line. You don't know what's going on. And I remember being so frustrated with my mom in this time. Love you, mother. Um, so frustrated because she would not live in that state of fear with me. And she kept saying, Becca, I trust that God has called you, and I trust that you have a purpose in this life, and this is not it for you. And I was so mad at that time that she wasn't there. And now that I look back on it, I'm thinking that is exactly the person I needed, that person of faith to show me that it's going to be okay. I can live in this place of fear, and I can live in this place of despair, but that's not of God. God doesn't give us fear. God doesn't give us these negative feelings, but instead every good and perfect gift comes from God. And my mom knew that, and it wasn't until many months after that that I was able to uh, forgive her for, <laughs> for treating me like that. But at the same time, that was exactly the way that she needed to treat me. That's exactly the way that she needed to be because she was trusting and she was showing me the kind of obedience and trust that Abraham had here with his son. Living a life of full obedience isn't easy. Sometimes we go through things that don't make any sense. That's how I felt in that moment. I felt like it doesn't make any sense. This is the way that Isaac and Abraham would have felt. This doesn't make any sense, God. You've already told us what we are supposed to do. We can't see you moving. We can't see how you're active in the situation. But if we only let, led an obedient life when we could understand it or when we could see it make sense, then that really is living, um, 
and leaning on our own understanding. You hear in Proverbs, very famous uh, passage of scripture, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. If we only trusted God when it made sense to us, then it's only leaning on our own understanding and we're not giving over control. We're not giving over the reins and we're not trusting that God is going to do what he says because he said and he's promised us to give us life everlasting, to give us victory over death and to meet our needs. Jesus said he is the light of the world. He is the bread of life and the way, the truth and the life and we can be confident and we can hold on to that knowing that that is truth and God does not change and that does not change for us. God provided that day on that mountain. He protected the promise he had made and he gave a replacement for Isaac and it was Isaac's life was spared and the ram was there offered in his place. I'd like to point out that in no way does God condone human or child sacrifice. Um, this would have been a practice that Abraham and other religions at the time would have known from what was around them. They would have seen people sacrificing their children or other humans to their gods. And so then what happened here, right? God has never ordained human sacrifice. In the Bible, we see places in the um, Torah and places in the prophets that continuously denounce child and human sacrifice. So then we have to look at the purpose behind the command to know what was actually happening. We read that Abraham was being tested by God. This test, though, was not meant to break down Abraham. This test was not meant to destroy Abraham, but instead this test was meant to strengthen Abraham. If we made decisions only when it was easy for us, then our faith would be shallow. It would not have roots. But when the rubber meets the road and things get hard and we have only God to rely on, that's when our faith takes deep root. And Abraham, he was the patriarch. He is the first person that's being told that it's through your family line that I am going to bless all families on earth. And that includes all of us in here today. And so Abraham, he had this faith and he's this example for us to see that this is the kind of obedience that God is calling us to. He wants us to have absolute surrender. The rest of the story goes like this. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies, and through your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. Then they returned to the servants and traveled back to Beersheba, where Abraham continued to live. So, so far we've seen in order to live a fully obedient life, we need to first give the reins over to God and give him complete control. We need to trust that he's going to do what he says. And now, in order to live a fully obedient life, we need to remember what God has done in our life up to this point. This is probably the fifth time that God has 
told Abraham of the promise. It keeps coming up for him. It's not like he told him that one time back in chapter 12 and that's it. He continues to tell him because he continues to want him to remember this is where he's at. This is where he's going. We don't want to forget. When you are a kid in school and you have summer break, your teachers often are probably not super excited because they know that when they come back, when you guys come back from summer break, you're going to have to relearn the things that you forgot over the last couple months. Um, the first couple weeks of school, you are going to be relearning the stuff because you haven't touched it. You haven't looked at it. You haven't talked about it. You probably haven't thought about math. You probably haven't thought about science or history. Um, and so they have the, the task of reteaching you. Um, that is where God is saying, we don't want to do that. We don't want you to have to go years and years and then remember, oh yeah, I remember when God proved himself to me back then. I remember when God answered that prayer back then. Instead, this is something that we should be talking about, something that you should be remembering through talking about it, through praying about it, through sharing your testimony. And what we see here is that Isaac, he trusted and knew the Lord because of the things that Abraham had been telling him all the way up to that point. Because I can't believe that Isaac would have allowed himself to just be bound and ready to be slaughtered for this sacrifice if he didn't first trust God. And you can't first trust God if you don't know him and you don't remember him. And so God is saying, I'm going to continue to tell you the promise and I'm going to continue to tell you this in your life and speak truth to you because it's not something we want you to forget. And I don't want you to just keep it to yourself either. You need to share it with your family. He changed his name to Abraham, so not only would his family know, but everyone who addressed him, who knew him as Abram, now knows him as Abraham, and would ask, why is your name Abraham now? And he could give that testimony and share, this is where the Lord has brought me, and this is where the Lord is um, sending me. So Abraham's faith didn't only affect him, it affected those around him. And so I have this term, spiritual amnesia. It's something that we don't want. You don't want to forget the things that God has done for you. So remember to share with your people. Share with your, your tribe, your family, the people who are closest to you. Because we can't expect people to know the good things that God has done in our lives and the way that he's been evident at, at work in our lives if we don't actually share it with them and we don't have them know Bring it up to your kids. Bring it up to your coworkers. Or maybe it's your parents who need to hear who God is and to hear the good news. Share with the people who you love because that's where we were at right here. Abraham loved Isaac and he trusted him because, or he entrusted Isaac's life with God because he knew who God was. And Isaac trusted his life to God because he knew who God was. And so I'm telling you, Talk about God and don't let yourself forget the things that God has done because if you do, then it's going to be that much more work and pain because we are so tunnel visioned and what we see and what we think should happen is right here in front of our eyes. But when we give control over to God and we trust in him, then um, he is faithful to love us. He's faithful to be with us. When we live a fully obedient life, 
that's when we're able to say, here I am, the way that Abraham did. Abraham was called by God when everything was going well, and he said, here I am, I'm here for you, I'm available. When things were at the hardest in his life, when he was about to kill his son, God called and he said, here I am. So at any point, because he was obedient, he was able to tell God, not my will, but your will be done. This story is hard to read through because we think it's just unthinkable. And it is. It's unthinkable to have to sacrifice a son or a daughter. The pain that this would bring Abraham or Sarah or Isaac is beyond comprehension. Isaac carried the, the wood. He carried the things that he was going to be sacrificed upon and bound on. And that's gut-wrenching to know that he was the one who was participating but we can look at the story and look ahead to the crucifixion of Jesus. And we can see the crucifixion of Jesus through this lens of this story. Jesus, God's only son, was sent as a perfect sacrifice for us. It is gut-wrenching to think, but the cost of, of the sacrifice was not great enough for if he didn't do it. He knew that the cost of not sacrificing himself, Jesus knew, would be not being reconciled to every one of us. And he knew that that was the reason why he was there. And he did it willingly because he trusted in God and knew that God had a plan to reconcile humanity back to him. Um, we are going to be partaking in communion together this morning. Um, and I want us to remember that sacrifice that Jesus made. I want us to remember the things that God has done in our lives up to this point. Um, here in the Church of the Nazarene, we believe in open communion. So that means that you don't have to be baptized a member of our church. You don't need to be, um, you don't need to have any special requirements other than that you're earnestly seeking after the Lord and you're reaching out to him. So if you did not grab elements prior to um, today, we have the Pearsons coming around. You can just raise your hand and he can get it for you. Um, we are going to approach communion, and Gretchen is going to play us um, some music. Um, I'm encouraging you to have a conversation, an honest conversation with God about where you find yourself today. Who has the reins of your life? Who is figuratively driving your car? Do you think that God has the little brakes on the side, or are you allowing him to be in complete control, trusting in him? Um, is there anything that's holding that you're holding on to that's preventing you from confidently and boldly saying, here I am to the Lord. So we're going to spend a few moments in prayer, and then we will take some communion.
Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we are figuratively kneeling at your feet. God, there are, there are things that we might have been holding on to that's preventing us from fully trusting you. God, if there are those things today, um, God, we just want to hand them over to you. God, we thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made for each and every one of us. We thank you that even when we don't deserve sacrifice, even when we don't deserve to have somebody replacing us and taking our place, God, we know that you did it willingly. You sent your son, Jesus, willingly, and Jesus willingly said yes. We can now have relationship with you, God, starting today. God, we pray that you strengthen us. We pray that our faith has deep roots, that we're able to share who you are with others because it's just so great to keep by ourselves. God, help us live obediently. Help us give control to you of those things that we just don't want to give up. God, help us remember the promises that you have given us. Because sometimes that's all we have, your promises. Your promise to love us. Your promise to redeem us. Your promise to give us life everlasting. God, may we not forget the ways that you have been at work in our lives. May we not forget the sacrifice of Jesus. May we not forget the times where we know that you have wrapped your arms around us and have comforted us, have guided us, and have forgiven us. God, as we approach communion today, we pray that these elements will be for us the body and the blood of Jesus and that we will remember the great sacrifice he made for us. And he did so because he loves us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. Likewise, he took the cup and said, this is my blood shed for you. Take and drink. God, we thank you for the many ways that you show us your love. We thank you that we can come to a place and experience your presence here, that we can know who you are through your scriptures, that we can know who you are through the ways that you speak to us, the ways that you answer prayers, the, raise, the ways that you bring your family around us when we need encouragement, when we need comfort, when we need prayer, when we just need to be 
around people with examples of faith. God, we thank you. We pray that as we leave here today, we can confidently and boldly say, here I am when you call us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May you go knowing that, the, that God goes with you. May you go in peace.